Is there a box that, if you look into it, can tell whether or not you are gay? And then we take a look at the allegations that the country of North Korea is not only one of the biggest distributors of methamphetamine, but also one of the biggest consumers. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. We had some technical problems with the first half of this episode, so I'm doing a re-record. Technical problems was that it sucked. And as I was editing it, I realized, nah, it's no good. So we're doing a whole new story. You know, you're not missing anything. And so there may be a bit of a sound difference, or the tone of my voice may change when we move to the North Korea story. That's all going to stay the same, but... So I apologize for that, but... Let's go ahead and get started. First off, I want to give a shout out to one of our legacy Patreons. Thank you so much for continuing to support the show. Burnt Toast Ghost. Burnt Toast Ghost, a longtime listener, a longtime supporter of the show. Really, really appreciate it. It means a lot. Burnt Toast Ghost, you're going to be flying us around in this Carpenter Copter. Burnt Toast Ghost was actually the name of a webcomic he was doing for a while. I don't know if you're still doing that, but you should be. We should continue to do the things that we love and the things that challenge us. It's always a good combination. So, Burnt, that's a little preachy, but Burnt Toast Ghost, let's fire up that carpenter copter. First off, we are headed up to Canada. And as we're flying to Canada, I want to say this, because I always want to say this. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help get the word out about the show. Word of mouth really, really helps a lot. So we're flying over the Pacific Northwest. Beautiful forest as far as the eye can see. We're flying over Canada. And we're going to land in a nondescript Canadian building. Is there any other kind? We're going to land. We're going to walk through the parking lot. We're wearing snazzy little 1950s clothes. We all look like we're from Mad Men. Did that show take place in the 60s? I never saw it. But anyways, we land in the parking lot of this government complex. Hop out of the carpenter copter. Now we're all dressed like 1950s people. So I'm wearing like this slick suit, dude. Got a little hat. Ding! It's all sharp. It's actually metal. I can throw it at people. I, that's a special thing. I Only I have that. You just have a regular old hat. No, you have no hat. The sun's beaming down in your head. You're like, ah, walking around. I'm wearing a suit. I got a hat. And it has like a metal brim to it. It's kind of heavy. Probably could have picked a different hat. But if I need to throw it at him, you're like, who are you going to throw this at, dude? We're walking into a government building. I don't know. If I have to throw my hat at someone, I'd rather it be a metal hat. I will wear a metal hat every single day for the rest of my life. Because at some point between the time I'm 43 and the time I die at 83, I may have to throw my hat at somebody. It's graduation. I'm like, oh no, I forgot. It's flying through the air. We're walking into this government building. Metal hat, not needed. And there we meet a man. He's a psychology professor named Frank Robert Wake. And he's like, ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad you've joined us today. Nice hat, by the way. And I go, thank you. Sling. And he goes, I have made a device that can root out one of Canada's biggest problems. We look at each other, we're like, you've been able to kill the beaver? No, no. The beaver menace, we will never get rid of. But this chair, it's just no- it looks like a dentist chair, he points at it. This chair will help us determine who is a homosexual. So we kind of look at each other and we're like, oh, it's just kind of a chair. And he's like, the chair technically is just where you sit. The chair is just the, the, the most obvious thing in the room. The box! Sling! He pulls it out, little glimmer light. The box is really what I should have highlighted. Don't focus on the chair, it's just a regular old chair. Now he pulls the box out and he goes, I need a volunteer. 
and I push you for whoa, push you forward. You're like, what? Don't worry, I'll take a turn too. And you sit down in the chair, and he hooks some stuff up to your hands, sucking all these little like electrodes and old 1950s electrodes. I don't know if they were any different, but we'll just imagine they were. They were cooler looking. And then he puts a box in front of you. And basically, you're looking at a little slideshow. And it goes, click. Oh, it's a pretty woman. Click. Oh, it's a muscular dude. Click. It's a puppy. Click. It's two muscular dudes. Click. Sexy woman. Click. Uh, two naked muscular. Click. Oh, a puppy. Click. Ugh, what in the... Click. What? Click. Ugh, please, click. Stop, click. And what it would do is you're looking into this box, and there's a camera measuring your pupils, dilating. Whoa. And it would show you neutral photos, puppies. And then it would show you photos of sexy women and photos of good-looking men, and they would become more and more explicit as time goes by. So if you're a woman and you're looking at this box, and they show a picture of, like, the strongest man in the world, Joe Atlas, and your eyes went, whoa, like, uh, bulged. They're basically like cartoon eyes, boring, boring, boring. They'd go, oh, perfect, she's heterosexual. If they showed you a picture of Faye Dunaway and your eyes go, whoa, they'd be like, hmm, mark that, mark that down. And as the pictures became more and more explicit, if you were if the if you were responding to the same sex pictures that were explicit, so you're a girl, hot girls doing stuff to other hot girls. How what in the world did 1950s porn look like actually? Now that I think about it, wasn't it all just Betty Page stuff? I I don't think I've ever seen a nude photo. Please don't send them to my email. But I don't think I've ever really seen a nude photo from somebody in the 50s. Like it was like June Cleaver, just like. Spread eagle, like I, I, it actually kind of boggles my mind now that I think about it. They, I'm assuming they were in black and white. Obviously, the first color photos was this pornographic spread. Super weird, but anyway. So I can't imagine the pictures were too enticing, <laughs> same sex or opposite sex. Oh like, yeah. Anyways, you got this. So they would put this box, and what? So this was the logic behind it. This is the logic behind it because the U.S. government did this for a long time. This is there's two reasons why the U.S. government. Three reasons why the U.S. government didn't want gays in the military. Canada didn't want gays. They used this for um, government employees. They called it the fruit machine because it detected fruits. This is the reason why. One, people just didn't like gay people. That was kind of just the overriding reason people didn't like gay people in general. Two, in the U.S. military specifically, they believe that it that it lowers morale, basically. When you have a gay dude in the unit, it lowers morale. This was the big issue back in the 50s, especially. And this program went on for a long time. And this was an issue in America, too. We didn't use the fruit machine, but they found other ways to to find. They'd send people to investigate you. If you were gay and you were engaged in a homosexual lifestyle. In the 50s, if anyone found out about that, one, it was criminal in a lot of states and in Canada. But two, if the Russians found out about it. This is middle of the Cold War. Beginning of the Cold War, really. We didn't know what was going to happen. The Russians found out about it. You had a choice. The Russian agent comes to you and says, we caught you. Here's, here's some black and white old-timey photos of you. You're like, oh, these are terrible. And the Russian guy's like, yeah, I know. We need to figure out a, a sexier way to take photos. But anyways, that's you doing that illegal action. You have a choice. You can either give us government documents and be a spy for us, or I'm going to put these up on Facebook. 
which in the 1950s was just printing a book with your face on it and handing it out to people in your town. Because society outright disliked homosexuals back then. Like, it, it was a criminal charge. You're it, Nowadays, you'd be like, whatever, I have a grinder account. Like, yeah, sure, out me. I'm already out. But back then, it would ruin your life. And so the government goes, I'm not justifying, <laughs> I'm not justifying this behavior, but that was their logic behind it. They just didn't like gay people either, but that's the logic behind it. They go, we need to get rid of government employees who are gay and lesbian because it's a liability. It's a secret liability to us. Secret as in they'll give away our secrets. So first off, they built this fruit machine. This uh, Frank, Frank Wake went to America and learned all about like the new techniques to like decipher people's inner feelings and stuff like that. Came back, built the fruit machine. And at first they'd be like, they'd invite government employees in and be like, this is a stress test machine. We want to see how stressed you are. And the guy's like, oh man, I really need to sit down. I'm super stressed. Do you know how like hard my job is? Yeah, I'll sit down and I'll look in this black box and see how, wait, what? What? What are you showing these pictures? What are you showing me these pictures for, bro? Come on, dude, you're making me more stressed out. What they were really doing is they were getting people, because again, they didn't know who was gay or not. So they were getting people at first randomly to sit down in the chair to test their stress levels. And then they're looking at this box and they're seeing a bunch of gay dudes banging each other. And so people stopped volunteering. People started going, no, I'm not going to volunteer. But people were also getting fired because their eyes were like, what? They see these sexy dudes. So this program ran from the 1950s to 1992. For 40 years, this machine was in operation. And what's funny is, it because it was a government program, it wasn't really spoken about. This was one of those stories. This is one of those conspiracy theories that I like because it's true. And it just kind of disappears. And this is a conspiracy theory that affected people's lives. This isn't Queen Elizabeth is a reptilian and she's eating baby skin. Like that, that's sci-fi fantasy stuff. This, and and if it was real, unless you're the baby, I don't think you have much to worry about. And it's not real. But this one, people are getting fired. People lost their jobs. Marriages were dissolved. Some people killed themselves. People went homeless. This was a conspiracy that the government engaged against its own population for 40 years. And when it ended, completely covered up. It's now starting to come out. There was little hints here and there. You'd hear about it here and there, like a conspiracy theory. You'd hear, oh, did you know about this operation? Da, 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 da. There's little hints. But now it's starting to the point that Justin Trudeau, uh, Prime Minister of Canada, in the year 2017, issued a internal investigation and an apology. And for all the victims of it, they get to split $110 million. That's, that's nothing. Because they say, like, the thousands of there at one point there was nine thousand people who were being tracked by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police over homosexual activities. That's not the full amount of people who got fired or had their lives ruined by the fruit machine. And the thing is, there's two two issues with the fruit machine, other than the fact that it was used to get people fired because of their sexuality. One the science behind it may be faulty. Some people have come out and said, just in general, that the fact that your eyes are dilating doesn't necessarily mean sexual interest. Nowadays, we have stuff like they put that little thing on your on your um, penis, and they show you pictures, and if it starts to get blood flow, then they go, oh, you're gay. I don't think they use it for gay people now, but they use it for pedophiles. 
But the other thing is this. This machine, whether or not that science with the eye dilating stuff like that, some people say, well, it does register in a slight way. It'll show a level of interest, but the way your brain processes it, it's subtle. So it could work. The science is not solid on that. What is solid on that is apparently the fruit machine, the way it was constructed, remember how I was describing the slides? The picture, and I'm sure as the technology got better, I'm sure you didn't have this problem so much, but the way the original machine was being run through the 50s and 60s was literally like a slide. What happened was the pictures weren't always the same size. So when you would click it between pictures, sometimes more light would be showing through the back of the photo so that would make your eyes dilate because they're actually closing because so much light and sometimes just the changing of the slide was enough to make your eyes shrink because there's so much light coming through and then when the picture of four sexy bears your eyes widen because it went from super bright to a darker photo now and then you get fired so a true conspiracy the government of canada did use a device to root out homosexuals, but it probably got rid of of, of people of all orientations. Whether, and to be fair, whether or not the machine worked 100% and it only detected homosexuals, it's still barbaric. I'm not like, oh, those poor straight people who got fired. In general, the whole idea is awful. The logic behind it was, if the Russians know that these people are gay, then they'll blackmail us. Really, the solution could have been Let's just not care if they're gay in the first place, and that doesn't give them anything to be blackmailed about. But live and learn. Live and learn. So hopefully that $110 million, that doesn't sound like a lot of money to be divided up among all those people, but hopefully it does something for them all these years later. So we are leaving behind the fruit machine. Put it back. I saw you taking it. You're like, but these pictures are so sexy. I'm like, dude. I know you want those sexy photos from the 1950s, but no, you cannot have it. Burnt Toast Ghost, fire up that carboner copter. We are leaving behind Canada. We are flying out to North Korea because it is North Korea week. We're headed on out. This was Stealthy Steve's idea. Really, really appreciate it. Cody recommended this particular story. We're flying over North Korea. Take us low, Burnt Toast Ghost. We're coming low over the forest, a lot of lumber industry, a lot of natural resources in North Korea. Very, very beautiful country. If you can ignore the mass starvation, and if you can ignore that scent, that weird scent we're getting as we're flying over the city. It, let me say this too, everything I'm about to say is alleged. I'm going to talk about some, a lot of crime in this. It's all been alleged. Even people who steady North Korea They just kind of shrug their shoulders sometime and go, I don't know. It's such a secretive place. But anyways, we're flying over the country. We're going to land in a town square. We're putting on our cool little military uniforms. We are now officially members of the North Korean military. And we got invited to a Lunar New Year's party. So we walk into this nice little house. Everyone's sitting around, dressed up. We're wearing our cool uniforms. And someone goes, oh, I'm so glad you guys came here. I'm so glad you guys came here. It's time to exchange gifts. And we're like, uh, I, I don't have a gift. Did you bring a gift? I push you forward and go, welcome. This is my gift. I'm giving you this slave. <laughs> You're like, no, no. I'm like, silence, slave. You're now a gift. I wrap you up. As you are, I left a little breathing hole for you. And as you're standing there, all wrapped up, a little bow on your head, ready to be traded. We see the other people trading gifts. 
Now, all the gifts they seem to be exchanging are fairly small. The size of your hand, maybe? Assuming you have a normal human-sized hand and you're not the Incredible Hulk. And we see people open up the gift and go, Oh my god, this is exactly what I expected. And I'm super happy. Give me a hug. Ah, uh, hug. Someone else goes, oh, I knew it. I absolutely knew it. Give me a hug. Again, we're like, what are they looking at? You can't see. I have to cut holes. So now you can look out of the wrapping paper. I'm like, what are they looking at? You're like, uh, why do I even listen to this podcast? You're always trapping me. And then we're looking over one of the people's shoulders and they open up their gift and they go, thank you. Thank you so much. And I look at you and you look at me and we both look down and we recognize that as a giant shard of methamphetamine. North Korea has a huge meth problem, and they have it for two reasons. One, they manufacture a ton of it. What's interesting, so after the 1970s, North Korea defaulted on a ton of loans, right? Basically, the mob came to them and said, where's the money, North Korea? And they go, uh, give us a week. They couldn't pay it, so what they did was they started smuggling alcohol, making counterfeit cigarettes, which which is interesting, because at first I thought... So are they not? <laughs> so is it just like cigarettes full of grass? It's actual tobacco, but they would say Marlboro. I can't say that word. They would say camel on it, but they were knockoff camel cigarettes. They're making a ton of money sh- uh, shipping booze, counterfeit cigarettes, counterfeit money. The money that comes out of North Korea is considered super bills because they're indistinguishable from American money. North Korea sees that as one able to pay off their debts, and two, economic warfare against the United States. I I bet you, if there was ever a true reckoning of how much counterfeit U.S. money is out there, it would be bad. So anyways, then the Soviet Union falls apart, so they lost major financial backing in the 90s. They're like, well, we were able to get by just like selling coal to China and, you know, doing this stuff, but now we really need money. And it became a narco state. This is something not a lot of people know about North Korea. They basically turned their economy into a drug state where they produced massive amounts of methamphetamine. And because it's a communist nation, they have community farms, these massive plots of land to feed the people. Now, after the Soviet Union stopped helping North Korea out, massive famine hit. They didn't have enough money to take care of everything. So Kim Jong-il, who was the president at the time, said, cut down all the crops. I want opium. I mean, maybe he did want opium himself. They're like, Kim Jong, we can buy you some opium. No, I want opium now or three to six months when the crop grows, but I need it. And people go, we need, advisors said, well, if we cut down all the crops to plant opium, then we're not going to be able to feed our people. And Kim Jong-il reportedly said, With the money we make from opium, we could buy six times the grain that we could grow. So stop growing wheat, grow opium, we'll sell it, we'll buy food. This went on from the 1990s to the early 2000s. Opium and methamphetamine. Now, they started off working with Asian gangs. And the Asian gangs are like, oh, dude, this is sweet. Because the North Korean meth is some of the most pure meth in the world. 98% pure. It was just... Perfect meth. Most meth in the United States, it fluctuates depending on how the supply chain is, but it goes anywhere from 70% to to 98%. It can get up there. But North Korean meth was consistently the best meth. So the Asian gangs wanted it. They grabbed it. They stepped on it. They made it less pure. Then North Korea goes, wait a second, wait a second. We're dropping these bundles out in the ocean. We're giving part of our money to the Dong. We're giving part of our money to the Yakuza. When we have diplomats, (laughs) we have all of these embassies all over the world 
they started using their diplomats to smuggle drugs into the country to the point that between 1990 and like 2005, 2006, over 20 North Korean officials were either detained, arrested, or were seriously investigated for dis- distribution of drugs. Everyone knew they were doing this. People were walking into embassies with uh, Scarface shirts on. They're like the big floral shirt and the gold sunglasses and everything. They got a tiger walking behind them. They're carrying a bag. Everyone knew what these guys were doing, but they had diplomatic immunity. Now, when this one guy got stopped in Israel with like 150,000 pills of like clorazepam or something, that's not, your diplomatic immunity is not bulletproof. You're smuggling drugs into Egypt. They're they're going to investigate you. But anyways, around the time of 2000s, the government said, you know what, let's kind of lay off on the meth. In fact, we're not going to sell meth at all anymore. We're just not going to do it. Now, I don't know if it was a distribution hub, because see, they'd have to get all their chemicals. You know, fentanyl and all that stuff's coming from China. And North Korea had to get all of the ephedrine and all that stuff from China. So, And China does not like drugs at all. So I'm sure North Korea and China were kind of... There's a province next to North Korea that in 1990 had 44 drug addicts. And today it has 10,000. So China's like, damn it, North Korea. Like, we know you need to make money, right? And we know you're buying ephedrine and stuff from us. We know you're buying this stuff to make this drugs. And you want to sell it in the United States? Whatever. We don't like them either. But quit selling it to, to us. Quit selling it to us, man. You're causing this huge drug problem. Bunch of meth heads running around China right now. So North Korea actually stops doing it. So, But this is what happens. You would have scientists who made meth because the government was making meth. And then all of a sudden, they're not making meth anymore. But they know how to make really, really good meth. What happened now was that you have these, world, these world-class meth cooks cooking in their own little laboratory, and selling it to the people of North Korea. The best meth in the world is in North Korea. And the only people who can buy it now are North Koreans. So we're walking down the streets of Yongyang, the capital of North Korea, and you go, Jason, so this is weird because, you know, North Korea is a police state. They have radios that are always on. If you're a high-ranking member, it has a volume control. You can turn it down. But other than that, there's a radio playing in every household. People are constantly being bombarded with propaganda. You have to love the president. You have to love the Kim family. So how is it possible that they are allowing this? Well, what's interesting is, so yes, yes, meth is illegal, but this is interesting. It is illegal, and it's illegal not because of the massive health risks to it, but because the people end up worshiping the drug more than they worship the ruling family, more than they worship the Kims. It's actually in the subset of the law about overthrowing the government. Insurrection. That's where meth is mentioned. Saying, hey, no, 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 no. This can upset society. But here's the problem. People love it. The rich people, all the way down to the poor people. They love their meth. Now, look, at you have a police state. And that's, that's true. You have a police state. That's not allegedly. And then you have a drug, and when we think of drugs, especially in the West, we think of degenerates, really. Like, generally, and you could say part of that's reefer madness, part of that's propaganda. But definitely, and, and, and it, we can have that argument, but definitely when you look at harder drug, alcohol, weed, cigarettes, sure, whatever. But when you start to look at stuff like heroin, meth, crack, there's definitely a degenerate lifestyle 
connected to those things. You may be able to maintain for a while. You may be able to maintain longer than other people, but they all end down the same path. How can you allow a drug that is that degenerative, body, mind, and soul degenerative? How can you allow it still? And if you had a police state, you should be able to lock it down like that. Well, here's the thing. It does do that. It does destroy the body, the mind, and the soul, but it makes you not hungry. And in a country that has famines, to this day, has a hard time feeding its population, if you can give them a drug that doesn't make them think about how hungry they are, that's a gift. For a corrupt government, that's a gift. It makes you an extremely, extremely productive worker. Maybe not the safest worker, right? These guys don't inject it. As far as I saw it, some of them may. For the most part, they snort it. And then some of them smoke it. But the most of the population snorts it. But you, Because there is a difference. If you're shooting up, your, your life is a complete mess. And the thing is with... It's interesting because I've known a lot... And I've talked... If you've listened to the show for a long time, I've talked a lot about a lot of people that I know who have had experiences with meth. It's been no good stories at all. But apparently meth isn't super physically addictive like heroin is or cocaine is or crack is. What it does is it destroys the dopamine receptors. You can't feel happiness or joy anymore after you do the drug for too long. Now, there are studies that show that dopamine receptors may return, but you need a long study to really look at that thing. And in the meantime, you can't be happy unless you're doing the drug. Now, happiness and joy are already in short supply in a police state like North Korea, really. But let's go back to the quote-unquote benefits of this drug. It makes it so you're not hungry. It makes you an incredibly quote-unquote productive worker. You may be taking apart a car motor and putting it back together at 3 a.m., but when you're on the floor of a factory, you're not tired. You're just going, going, going. You have so much energy in you. In the country of North Korea, it's considered a medicine. And people, that wasn't a skit at the beginning. Well, it was, but people do give it to each other as gifts. People will be walking around town. You mean, hey, Barry, how's it going? Oh, it's going really good. I'm working in the factory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking a mile a minute. Oh, man, you're talking a lot. You must have some of that good stuff. Oh, yeah. They will say, hey, man, snort some of mine. I got the best stuff. Oh, man. Ooh, that is good. Here, no, here. Let me give you a little snort of mine. It's an open secret. The gover- It's funny because the government kind of turns a blind eye to it. Because, again, you're thinking countries, I think at the end of the day, every country the leadership would love for it to be a police state, as long as they're in charge. And if you had a police state, you would think you would have no drug problems. The problem is is that this is so invasive in the country of North Korea that the people who would normally be calling for action and saying, you need to stop this, look at it's killing our streets, their kids, their wife, even them, take a little snort every now and then. So nobody wants to ring the alarm bell because everyone is implicated in this. And yes, it is illegal, but since everyone does it, who's going to call for the, the, the big change? We need to stop this. Because you have generals, generals, wives. It's become huge in the upper crust of North Korean society. Because don't get it twisted. They're not all peasants. They do have a leadership structure and you have people who are fairly wealthy. You have very nice houses and stuff like that. And of course you do have lower working class people, upper class people, the women do it as a diet aid. It's being touted as a way to lose weight and stay slim. The lower class goes, I don't need a diet aid because I'm already slim because there's a massive famine going on. 
The last thing I'm worried about is not gaining weight. I wish I could gain weight. It's also considered like just medicine over there. Your back hurts. You're having muscle spasm. Oh, my back. Snort some meth. Feeling gloomy. Things just aren't going your way. You're looking over the 38th parallel at all the K-pop bands just dancing. You're separated by them by about 10,000 landmines. Do a little sniff. Things will feel better. Things will feel better. Now, what's interesting, again, is that the government, this is illegal. You're not supposed to sell it. You're not supposed to use it. You're not supposed to carry it. But again, no one really ever gets caught for this. To the point that recently, and and remember, the state stopped sponsoring this stuff back in 2005, 2006. In August 2016, there was this massive tower being built in Pyongyang. It's Kim Jong-un's jewel. He wanted this tower. It was going to be a shining beacon of how advanced North Korea, civilization, architecture, all that stuff had come. But it starts to fall behind. Now, again, because it's a police state, the firms in charge of building the tower begin draft, quote-unquote, drafting local residents to work on it. Basically means knocking on your door. It's a Tuesday morning. You, you're working on the tower today. And you're going to be working on it until the tower's done. And if you had a bakery, if you did anything else, which I don't know if, I'm pretty sure they're not allowed to own small businesses, but... I could be wrong on that. Again, not a lot of people know a lot of stuff about it. But anyways, local residents were basically being forced to work on this tower. And it's still falling behind. So again, allegedly, the construction firm began to pass out methamphetamines to speed up the process. There is no job I can think of other than like maybe mass transportation where I definitely don't want to be working around meth heads than a high-rise construction tower. Because, best-case scenario, you're working on the floor above them as they're constantly grooving to Leonard Skinner and dancing off of the scaffolding and falling to their deaths. Or the worst-case scenario is you're working on any floor below him or on the ground, and somehow you can still hear Stairway to Heaven as a 150-pound man has reached terminal velocity and is about to slam right into you. I can't imagine the safe, the just the safety violations alone. Working with a bunch of meth heads, and everyone's on meth, so you would be doing it too. You'd be, hey man, no, smoke on the water's a way better song. Here, play that, and you guys are fighting over the boombox that you took apart last night and then repair, quote unquote, repaired. It's just covered in duct tape now, and you can barely hear anything. And then as the two of you are fighting over what would win in a wrestling match, a Phillips or a Flathead, both of you go tumbling to your death. That is not, I mean, obviously an airline pilot high on meth would be (laughs) measurably worse, but working on a high-rise building is not. But what's interesting about this, like every dystopia, you do have a resistance movement. Because around the construction site of this tower, graffiti is being sprayed on the wall. Pyongyang speed is drug speed. The people know what's going on. This tower that's supposed to be a glimmer of hope at what North Korea can achieve is actually being powered by the poison in the veins of their countrymen. That is as dystopian as it gets. And while the building may be beautiful, while it may be a symbol of what North Korea is capable of, while it may be a pet project spearheaded by Kim Jong-un, a personal source of pride for him. It's really a symbol 
of the toxins that flow through the country of North Korea. But maybe, maybe there is a glimmer of hope. Because tomorrow's episode is where we wrap up North Korea week. And we look at a different side of North Korea. A conspiracy theory from the conspiracy theory iceberg. And one that's floated around long before the conspiracy iceberg was even created. Is it possible that North Korea is actually a real-life Wakanda? A glimmering utopia that all of us would love to be a part of. We'll address that tomorrow on Dead Rabbit Radio. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>